Noah's persistent obedience in building the ark was rooted in his faith. He obeyed God because he first believed God. And we are saved in the same way that Noah was saved. We are saved by grace through faith. Where God rescued Noah in the ark, God rescues us in Christ. Welcome to the Fox Den with Terry Fox. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Fox Den. I'm going to continue with my survey of Genesis. So in this episode, we're going to look at chapters 6 through 8. Let me once again begin with a quick overview of the preceding chapters. Chapter 1 reveals God as the creator, and it shows us that man is God's special creation. Chapter 2 focuses on the creation of Adam and the command that God gave him not to eat the forbidden fruit. Chapter 3 reveals the sin of Adam and the fall of mankind, and it also shows that God initiated a plan to defeat Satan and redeem his people. Chapter 4 shows us that sin affected all mankind as Cain killed his brother Abel. And chapter 4 concludes with the birth of Seth, the third son of Adam and Eve. Chapter 5 lists the descendants of Adam to Noah through the line of Seth. And it concludes with a statement of hope, stating in verse 29 that Noah shall bring relief. At this point, Moses hinted at a cataclysmic event that was about to happen. And the beginning of chapter 6 sets the stage for the Noah story. And verses 1 and 2 describe what happened. The sons of God took daughters of man as their wives. Well, what does that mean? Some have speculated that the sons of God were angels. However, though I won't go into this in detail, that view is problematic. According to John Calvin, the sons of God were those adopted by God according to his grace, and the daughters of man were those whom God did not adopt. Perhaps we could say it this way. There were two lines, the godly and the ungodly. And by godly, I don't mean sinless. I mean believers. So it seems the point that Moses is getting at is that there was this intermarriage between the two groups of people. And this had a massive negative effect on mankind. And what was that effect? Moral decline and corruption. There's an important lesson for us to learn here. We will always be inclined to follow our sinful desires. Never think that you can impact the world and be a moral influence you will likely be led astray. In other words, due to your own sinful nature, the odds are stacked against you. The only hope that you have of not falling astray is the intervention and work of the Holy Spirit. Now, don't misunderstand me here. I'm not saying that you should lock yourself up in a monastery so that you're not affected by the world. No, God has not yet taken us out of the world, so we interact with this world every day. And we all have non-believing friends, families, co-workers, acquaintances. And we engage with them every day. And we should look for opportunities to minister to them. And certainly God has kept us in this world so that we can minister to them, primarily by sharing the good news of Christ with them. The lesson that I want to emphasize here is that our hearts are inclined to evil. So don't presume that you will affect the world. Or perhaps I should just say... Be cautious when engaging the world. You are more prone to love the world than they are to love God. 
After all, their hearts are already set against him. Well, let's return to Genesis 6. Verse 3 says that God's spirit shall not abide in man forever, and his days shall be 120 years. Well, what does this mean? First, this is a statement about death. Remember back in Genesis 2 that God gave Adam a command. We see this in verses 16 and 17. He could eat from any tree in the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in the day that he ate of that tree, he would surely die. And then we see in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, that Adam did indeed eat the forbidden fruit. And as a result of that, he died. And fast forward hundreds of years later, if not thousands, and Paul tells us in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, that the wages of sin is death, meaning we earn death because of our sin. So back here in Genesis chapter 6, God is saying that man will die, affirming the consequences of sin. And at this point, God is declaring the impending death of those people who walked in the days of Noah. Well, then we see the corruption of sin and how it affected the human race. Take a look at verse 5. God saw that the wickedness was great. But look at what it says in the second half of verse 5. Here we see the extent of the wickedness of man. Every intention of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil continually. What a strong statement. There was not a moment when the intentions of the thoughts of their hearts weren't evil. It's like Moses is overemphasizing this point. The intentions of their heart was nothing but evil. You see, there's nothing good in man, which means there's nothing good in us apart from Christ. Does that mean that people can't do good things? Well, of course not. People do good things every day. For example, a murderer can feed his family. It's the intention of the thoughts of man's heart that is nothing but evil. And with that said, can man really do good things? No. In the eyes of God, our good works are tainted by sin. So they're not purely good. So then you have to ask the question, in the eyes of God, are they good at all? In the eyes of man, they may be good things, but not in the eyes of God. Because all of our good works are tainted by sin. Now look at verse 6. It says that God regretted that he made man. Now what does that mean? Well, it seems to me that Moses is trying to communicate God's displeasure in human terms. Did God really think that man was going to turn out okay? Did Adam throw God a curveball when he ate the forbidden fruit? No. God knew that man was going to fall. In fact, the fall was part of God's plan. Take a look at Acts chapter 2. This is Peter's sermon at Pentecost. And in verse 23, he says that Jesus was delivered according to the plan and foreknowledge of God. In other words, God planned the crucifixion of Christ from the beginning. And to confirm this, look at Ephesians chapter 5. In verses 31 and 32, Paul tells us that Genesis 2, verse 24, is about Christ and his church. That's the verse where God said, A man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, takes place prior to the fall, prior to Adam's sin. So God knew about Christ and his church before Adam sinned. Now returning to verse 6, God saw the wickedness of man throughout the earth, and he was grieved by it. Therefore, God decided to destroy all mankind and the creatures. But Noah found favor with God. We see that in verse 8. But why did he find favor with God? Because he was a good man? 
Well, we're going to see later that Noah wasn't a good man. He was just as sinful as you and me. Yet in Genesis chapter 6, verse 9, Moses says that Noah was a righteous man and blameless in his generation. Again, does this mean he was sinless? Of course not. But he was different from the rest of his generation, which was evil and violent. Where Noah walked with God, his generation did not. And in order for Noah to walk with God, he had to believe God, which means he had faith. Now let's fast forward to Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. And I realize we're moving forward in history, but the concept is the same throughout the whole Bible. Keep in mind that Moses wrote Genesis, chapters 6 and chapter 15. At the beginning of Genesis chapter 15, God made a promise to Abram, who was Abraham. And he promised him a son. Now, keep in mind, Abram was an old man whose wife was barren. So he had no children and his wife couldn't produce any. Yet God promised that through his wife, he would have a son. Well, Abram believed God and verse 6 says that God counted his faith as righteousness. So Abram wasn't righteous in the sense that he was without sin. He simply believed God and God counted his faith as righteousness. So Abram wasn't counted righteous by his obedience. He was counted righteous by his faith. Well, the same concept applies to Noah. He was a righteous man not because he obeyed God, though he was certainly more obedient than the rest of his generation. He was righteous because he believed God. Again, we're going to see that Noah was just as sinful as you and me. What set Noah apart from his generation is that he walked with God while the rest of mankind was corrupt in God's sight. Now look at what it says in verse 11. Violence filled the earth. And Moses adds that all mankind was corrupt. What we're seeing is the fruition of Adam's sin and of Adam's sin nature. So God planned that he would wipe out all creation with a flood, but he would rescue Noah, his family, and the different kinds of animals. So God commanded Noah to build an ark or a large boat. We see that in verses 14 through 16. And this was a massive vessel designed to hold two of each kind of animal and the resources to sustain them for a long period of time. These animals would repopulate the earth when the water receded. For those of you in the United States, you can go to the Ark Encounter in Kentucky and see a life-size replica of the ark. And you'll get an idea of the enormity of the ark. And think of how long it would have taken Noah to build this massive structure with his son's help and with basic hand tools. It takes an army of people with sophisticated tools a great time to build a ship these days. In other words, chapter 6 spans over a long period of time, perhaps 100 years. Noah certainly would have been a laughingstock, but he persisted to obey God for many years. God then says in verse 17 that he will bring a flood of water to destroy all flesh. But look at verse 18. God will make a covenant with Noah and his family that he will rescue them and the animals on board the ark. This is a sign of grace. First, God chose to rescue Noah and his family. Second, God didn't destroy all mankind. He preserved mankind through one man, Noah. Does that sound familiar? how God rescues his people in one man, Christ? However, there's another reason why God preserved man. Remember Genesis 3.15? The one who would crush the serpent's head hadn't yet come. 
God had to preserve mankind in order for the seed of the woman to come and defeat Satan. If God destroyed all mankind, including Noah and his family, he would be a liar. His threat to defeat Satan would have been an empty threat. It wouldn't have been truthful. So God had to preserve a man through the flood in order to keep his promise to Satan. And then chapter 6 ends with Noah's obedience in building the ark. So I took a good bit of time to cover chapter 6. We're now going to move very quickly through the next two chapters. Chapter 7 covers the flood, and the earth opened up, and the rain fell from the sky. And I hope you caught that. It didn't just rain. Verse 11 says, The foundations of the deep burst forth. You see, the earth was likely very different then than it is today. And along with that, it rained for 40 days and 40 nights, and God wiped out all living things except Noah and his family and the animals on board the ark. Now, many people think that God is mean for doing this, but you have to realize that God is a holy God and man is wicked. God gets to unleash his judgment as he sees fit. He's a just God and his justice is right. So God is not out of line in destroying all mankind. Remember, the wage of sin is death. However, God is gracious. He rescued Noah and his family when they were equally as guilty as the rest of mankind, which we will soon see. Furthermore, the flood event is a glimpse of what is to come when Jesus returns and makes all things right. Like Noah and his family in the ark, those in Christ will be saved. Those outside of Christ are condemned. Chapter 8 covers the end of the flood, when the waters receded and Noah and his family got off the ark. So eight people survived the flood, Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their wives. In verses 16 and 17, God commands Noah to be fruitful and multiply. And this command doesn't just apply to Noah alone. This is a command for his sons and their wives and for the animals. And this is the same command that God gave Adam back in the Garden of Eden. And it's a command to populate the earth. Now, I want to slow down at this point and look at verses 20 to 22. What did Noah do when he got off the ark? He built an altar. In other words, he worshipped God. In his book, Studies in the Book of Genesis, Robert Harbach says the altar is an important figure in worship. It's the place where the holy God meets sinful man. But the altar was also the place to slaughter the animals as a sacrifice. Noah offered burnt offerings. This means that Noah slaughtered animals as an offering. And as Noah offered this sacrifice, God smelled the pleasing aroma. Why was God pleased with this aroma? Well, it signified that his justice will be served in Christ. The sacrifices of the Old Testament sacrificial system point forward to Christ. Though Noah may not have been able to see Christ in the future, God did because God planned for Jesus to be sacrificed, which is what Peter said in his sermon at Pentecost. Now look at what God says in verse 21. He will never again curse the ground because of man. And Why did God say this? Well, he tells us. Look at the conjunction in verse 21. He won't do this for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. In other words, flooding the earth doesn't solve the problem because the problem is not behavioral. It's a heart problem. The flood doesn't solve the problem, but God never meant to solve the problem in this way. Remember, he had Christ in view from the very beginning. 
So with the flood, God exercised his justice and pointed us to Christ. You see, Jesus is the ark, and those in him will be rescued from the final judgment. And this brings us to the end of chapter 8, but I want to point out a couple more things. I've said several times that Noah was sinful, and I would show you proof. Well, take a look at Genesis chapter 9, verse 29. Noah died. What is the wage of sin? Paul tells us in Romans 6.23, it's death. Noah's death proves that he was just as sinful as you and me. Also, take a look at the corrupt world that you and I live in. We all come from Noah, every one of us. The whole world was populated through his three sons, but we all come from Noah. How can this world be corrupt unless the sin of Adam was passed through Noah? Therefore, Noah wasn't righteous by his own merit. He couldn't be because he was sinful, and his death proves that. The only way that Noah could have been considered righteous was by faith, the same way that Abraham was considered righteous, the same way that you and I are considered righteous. Noah's persistent obedience in building the ark was rooted in his faith. He obeyed God because he first believed God. And we are saved in the same way that Noah was saved. We are saved by grace through faith. Where God rescued Noah in the ark, God rescues us in Christ. That concludes this episode. If you have any questions, please email me at terry at thefoxdenjournal.com. If you enjoy The Fox Den, please leave a positive review and share this podcast with others. And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe. The Fox Den is a member of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Thanks for listening. And remember, faith comes by hearing.